This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This show is supported by generous listeners like you through our Patreon. This episode was unwritten by the Tamsin G Association and Chris Giddings. Learn more about ways to support Oh My Dollar and get cool perks like exclusive live streams and exclusive cat stickers. You can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbig. And I'm your other host, Will Romy. Well, today we're going to talk about something that might seem a bit like a relic of the past, balancing a checkbook. Wild. Do you balance a checkbook, Will? Never. I think in sixth grade in home ec, we were like, there, we spent a day on how to balance a checkbook, which was irrelevant to me as a sixth grader. And uh, I'm not sure if it's relevant to me now in 2019, <laughs> but it could be. Did you like retain the lessons? Like, do you think of... No. No. <laughs> okay. Hard no. Uh I'm kind of jealous because I definitely did not learn how to balance a checkbook in school. I didn't have any financial literacy training in school, which I think is like pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, one of our one of our producers here at X Ray brought up the topic to me. Should I be balancing my checkbook? Is that a is that a thing? And uh, I conducted an extremely informal survey on my Twitter. <laughs> and, what was our sample size? Uh, I think our sample size is like 20. Right. So, you know. I've seen less formal yeah. surveys. I mean, I feel like my thesis had about that many. <laughs> uh, and it seems like an overwhelming number of people do not balance a checkbook anymore. At least they don't do it in the traditional break out your checkbook register, get your statements brought to you mm-hmm. in the mail um, Ryan tweeted at me, I'm a little embarrassed. I know neither how nor why, nor even what it is, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm because I write about three checks a month. I pay my rent with check, and there's a couple bills that I just pay by check because I never bothered to put them into the auto pay. And uh that's that's about it. But all that is registered in my bank statements in the same way anything else would be. Yeah. Do you do you when you check your bank? Do you usually just log in online and look at the list of transactions, or do you go in and download the PDFs of the statements? Uh, the former. I usually just look at the list of transactions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so Christy, also known as Next Level Banana on Twitter, who we've <laughs> talked about before in the show, said, "When I use checks, I did balance my checkbook. Now I write maybe three checks a year, and I track my checking account balance using a spreadsheet." And Hannah said that it was something she didn't do any longer, but as a little kid with my dad after paying bills, somehow I thought it was fun. 
mostly because I got to stamp the envelopes. Yep, that's solid. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so I have my own rants about why we continue to rely on weird pieces of paper in order to say we owe people money in the U.S. And I think it's important before we g- get into the nitty gritty of balancing a checkbook to discuss checks themselves <laughs> and why we have them. Uh, there are some advantages of checks. So they're a relatively safe way to send money through the mail as opposed mm-hmm. to like stuffing cash into an envelope. Yeah, or even a money order, I guess. Yeah, and, and even a money order. Um, money orders have the advantage of they can be canceled. So if you've if you've never engaged with a money order, what a money order is, is you go to a provider of a money order and it is essentially a, a, a check without having to be linked to an account. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a third party. And you usually pay a small fee, unlike checks, which you don't usually have to pay a fee for other than to get the checks themselves. Um, the fraud risks for checks are well established. Like it, for, checks have been around long enough. They've been around for like 70 years now. So they're pretty well regulated. We pretty much know how to find fraud in checks. They are often the only way to pay government entities so like things like parking tickets (laughs) like checks can often be your only option unless you're willing to get a money order and then go drop it off in person um and for your rent it might be the only way that you can pay it in the states uh depending on your landlord a lot of landlords will take auto pay now Um, most mortgage companies prefer to do ach especially if you uh you know have are paying your property tax or something like that and escrow as well but um for mortgage for rent it can sometimes be your only option still um they're also a lot less likely to fail than like your debit or your credit card since uh you only need a pen and paper right Mm -hmm, Uh, (laughs) believe it or not technically the checks that you like get from your bank or from a third party are are not required you can legally write a check with seven elements on any piece of paper as long as they have the right things in it so if you know you're tracking an account number and are willing to write them down at the bottom along with some other key information anything is a check right old piece of newspaper or a yeah i mean you you can write a check on a napkin (laughs) and deposit it um so i actually don't because i uh move pretty often i actually just print all of my checks so i i I print them because I have multiple accounts that I'm paying out of and you can go pick up, you know, a thing of check paper just like, you know, a business uses at at Office Max and you'll probably have enough for the rest of your life. Right. Instead of paying your bank 25 bucks for 500 or something. For me, annoying because I don't like to have to deal with the uh, the inconvenience of every time I move ordering new Mm -hmm. checks and then get a box of 10 books of checks, which would take me the rest of my life to use. Right. Um, And I also have hope that at some point we will modernize our banking system and checks will no longer be real. When (laughs) when I lived in Europe, people were baffled that the U.S. still uses pieces of paper that we handwrite in order to transfer money. Um, Since almost all of these transactions for like two decades at this point have been done automatically in Europe. So, uh, you know, if you want to pay a friend, you text, you can text them money with a bank transfer in Europe. And that's just quite normal. Nobody pays their rent with a check. Right, um, it is very old school. I, I well, I've I've been I've been rewatching Seinfeld from the beginning this winter because it's winter, and uh, <laughs> there were there were there was one bit I found very dated where he's complaining about people writing checks to pay for their groceries. So I mean, it definitely has even kind of phased out from day to day use, and I feel like people mostly use them for bills and for rent, like like you were talking about. Yeah, and th- that kind of harps on some of the disadvantages. A ton of places don't even take them anymore. So when I worked in grocery, checks were still one of the most common payment types, and that was what, 15 years ago? And mm-hmm. now most grocery stores will not take checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is largely because I, I became a first-line defense against check fraud, um, which was 
quite abundant uh, in grocery stores. And I, everything I know about check fraud, I know from being a supervisor in a grocery yeah. store. Because what? Well, I mean, how, how how would I commit check fraud? I just use a fake check without my fake, real name. Fake and checks. Walk um, out of there. So you know, a lot of uh, grocery stores won't take starter checks, which are checks that have the number below one hundred. But the thing is, is that mm. you can put any number you want on the top of a check. Right. I think I so, remember <laughs> you meant, we did another episode where we mentioned checks. Yeah. I think you talked about yeah, that. Yeah, uh, which is a good is a good hack. Don't ever start at zero with your checks, even though it feels. You know, if you have the choice uh, with what number you start at, uh, you know, start at 100 or above because some places won't take what they consider starter checks, which are the checks you get when you open an account. So that's why people normally request an ID with a check if you're paying. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and, you know, to make sure that it's you, to make sure that the address matches um, quite often. So the disadvantages of checks is that there's a time <laughs> there's there's a time delay. <laughs> so with a debit card or a credit card, they instantly are able to check the account and mm-hmm. make sure that there is money in it. Um and obviously, there are some banks that do some sort of sketchy things where they'll approve debit transactions and then charge you overdraft fees, even though you don't have money in the mm-hmm. account. But you can set it up so that your debit card always rejects if you don't have money in the account. But with checks, it, it could be up to a week delay, sometimes 10-day delay, before that check hits the account. Uh, I don't know if you've been in this position where you've written a check for someone and then they take two months to deposit it. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and you're just sitting there waiting and there's no information other than what you personally know about that check right so they're they don't know anything because you're just writing in a piece of paper and it's just an iou pretty much um and it can be super frustrating because you can write a check and they could uh, take a long time to get the information back you also need to remember to carry them and they're kind of awkward right (laughs) unless you like a big piece of paper unless you fold them and put them in your wallet uh which is like a good note there that i kind of have failed to bring you a check multiple times and have ended up just paying you through PayPal. Yeah, and how did we resolve it? A modern solution (laughs) that's more convenient. Right. (laughs) Uh, And and that is largely because I just keep forgetting to bring checks because they're not something I regularly bring myself. Um, And the other thing about checks is that if someone else writes you one and it bounces, you're going to get in trouble. (laughs) Right. Um, Because that's that's trying to pass what is called a bad check. Um, And like... it. It doesn't. This is true with your paycheck too. If your paycheck bounces, which happens to people sometimes, especially with um, all of these companies closing down and things like mm-hmm. that, um, you you can end up in the position where you're not only out the money that you were expecting to get, you're also out a bank fee. And if you were expecting that money to be in your account and it bounces, which could take it, it can take two weeks for you to find out that that check has bounced, then. If you were making transactions and you were expecting that money to be there and then it wasn't, then you're also maybe going to owe overdrafts for those other transactions. Right. So, so it could be months of repercussions yeah, from one bad check. It, it can really, really put you under. So that's um, why places charge fees when your check bounces to recoup the fees they're charged ex- when your check bounces. Exactly. It's clunky. Uh, it's it's a clunky, clunky system. And to be fair, ACH, which is kind of what the debit transactions run through, mm-hmm. uh, is the same system. It's just that it, it there's you're removing the step of the bank needing to receive that piece of paper and then put it into a register, which is why ACH does take a while, right? So debit ca- card transactions, we get the information back instantly, but they take a while to actually process through your account, which is why they show up as pending a lot of the time for several days in your 
your like online bank yeah. account. And that's because, um, the, believe it or not, the way ACH works is through a series of FTP uploads of a giant CSV spreadsheet containing everyone's bank account information and mm. uh, how much the transactions are and the date. And that is a giant FTP system that goes between all of the banks wow. that happens each day. And then that's the sort of process that each one yes. in some order. It's linked. It's all linked up and everything like that. But like, it, it's bizarre that that's the way mm. that our financial institutions still function. Mm. Which brings us to reasons to balance your checkbook. <laughs> uh, so balancing your checkbook. Why is it important? Whether or not you have checks. Well... Because banks make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so what exactly is the concept of balancing a checkbook? Can you explain? Do you remember from your sixth uh, grade home? I would only be speculating. I <laughs> guess you're just making sure you've got enough money in your bank account to cover all your outputs and check your expenditures and checks. Kind of. So it's really just comparing your statements for your spending uh, from your bank against your own records. That's mm. it. And mm. so it's called balancing a checkbook because the classic way to do this was your actual checkbook. So it used to be that when you would spend money on your in the early days of debit cards and on checks, you would record each of the transactions in this little register that you get along with your checks. And I actually continue to use these for, I had, because I like fancy paper products, uh -huh. I had like a beautiful letter-pressed checkbook register that I had in order to encourage myself to every time I was at the coffee shop, sit down and enter it. Oh, cool. And this was pre-smartphone era. So this was the way that I kept a record of my own transactions. And so with a physical checkbook, the way that you would balance your transactions is you would take that record that you had theoretically filled out, and then you would compare it against your bank statement. And it used to be that your bank statement would be mailed to you every single month along with your canceled checks. These days, most people don't get mailed statements, and they maybe they usually just check like you do mm -hmm. your online right, on your online account. Um, but you do you still are legally required. The bank is supposed to provide you with a PDF statement, uh, and that will be like you can download it, and it will be for whatever the statement period is for your account, which is usually a calendar month for a bank account. But it would it'll be from your whatever your statement dates are on your credit cards. So like most of my credit cards run on like the seventh. So I'll you know I'll get my statement date on from the 7th to the 7th of the next month right and um the big thing that you're kind of looking for in this process is one you're trying to make sure that there aren't outstanding things that you know you've written so checks or something else that hasn't processed yet and you're looking to make sure that the bank didn't make any errors so you're that's really all you're doing. It's comparing your records against their records. Note, in order to balance your checkbook in this instance, you need to have some sort of set of records of your own. So, right. so if I'm using the bank's records as my records, that, I'm never going to see a mistake. Exactly. Right. Um, and you're also not, just not, you know, using it to balance your checkbook. So, so for example, like, I, you know, sometimes you write a check to like a nonprofit at the end of your giving or roommate and it takes forever for them to deposit it. But you need to be aware of what that amount is so that you do not overspend. Yes. It always stresses me out at the end of the month. I'm usually the one who collects all my roommate's rent and then writes a big check to the bank. Mm, yeah. 
And then there's always way too much money in my bank account in a way that's sort of stressful because I'm just waiting for, you know, that $2,000 to go away. Right, right. So. Where you're like, this isn't really my money, but I'm just waiting for. Right. Yeah. No, totally. I, mm-hmm. I, I've i played that role in many of the houses that I've lived in, including like the friends that work service industry and just hand me a pile of cash as their contribution of yes. rent. Uh, <laughs> and that's always, you know, the fun, the fun like, oh, look at me. I'm just dropping $300 of cash mm-hmm. off at the bank. So with online banking, the great part is that you don't have to wait for your statement. So like it used to be that you would need to actually wait until the, you know, end of the until the statement came in the mail. And it used to actually come with the physical checks canceled, like like stamped out as a, a canceled check. I think check. I remember a bank I used to have would send me pictures of the checks. Yeah, and uh, then pictures I don't think of I the get checks. That anymore. The, it used to be the physical checks canceled and then it became pictures of the checks. And then now most banks will let you click the check and see an image of it. Oh, because fun. they they have to take <laughs> images of them as part of their thing. Right, to process them. To process that, them yeah. and so um usually you'll be able to get a a picture of it which is which is helpful. And sometimes you can help identify oh the oh crap, they read my roommate's really bad handwriting wrong and they actually deposited the wrong amount in my account. Mm-hmm. I guess the couple times that's happened to me they just haven't deposited it since the uh, numerical number and the written number didn't quite match didn't up. Didn't match, yeah. Uh, my grandma's a lefty too. I've had a number of uh, Ooh, birthday smeared. checks. No, she's just got awful handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So the steps are pretty simple. It's whatever your own records are against your bank, you find all the interest earned transactions and you add them to your records. So Mm -hmm. those would be something that wouldn't be in your record, right? Until you check the bank because you don't know how much interest you have. Right, because that's information they've got. So, you know, on my checking account, I get like two cents of interest per month and I I inevitably enter it and then I have fun allocating it to a category. Hey, but that adds up in a year. You've got almost a quarter. I know. It's so (laughs) exciting. Buy gumball. Yep. Uh, and then I also find any bank fees and I add them to my record. Um, for me, I'm lucky that I don't have to pay bank fees uh, at my really nice bank. And if your bank is charging you fees for your checking account, switch banks. We've said this yep. before on the show. <laughs> there's no reason to be paying bank there's fees. There's a lot of good free options. Yeah, there's so many good free options. Um, and I, I, But this is actually helpful for me as someone who does this with my credit cards every month that I I, I, I call it reconciling mm-hmm. um, as opposed to balancing. Um, but I reconcile my transactions and I use this for, I pay annual fees on some of my cards because I do credit card hacking. So I have some of the like more fancy credit cards right. and it's nice to n- know when they're going to come due, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, especially when you're doing more complicated things like that. I'm sure keeping good records is just doubly more important. Yeah. Uh, um, and for me, a lot of the reason that I reconcile and or balance my um, accounts is because for me, I do a lot of credit card hacking and I have to hit a minimum spend on my cards. And this helps me keep track because they're not going to keep track for me. I need to keep track of did I hit the minimum spend within the 90 days that Mm -hmm. I need to? Because quite often you'll have to spend like $2,000 in three months of opening the card in order to get the bonus miles. Um, Like I said, I don't really recommend travel hacking as a hobby if you're trying to work on your credit, uh, but it can be a fun hobby if you really like spreadsheets and are super organized. Yep, and travel. (laughs) If you don't currently balance your checkbook or reconcile your accounts in some way, credit card hacking is probably not the hobby for you. (laughs) So... um, the there's a bunch of different ways that you can do this. So if you use something like Mint, so I, I think a lot of people that use things like Mint or like those automatically connected budgeting software, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, but how do I balance my account? Because everything is automatically imported. And so I don't really have my own records, right? Almost all of those accounts will let you add in information 
as you um, pay it. So this is really important. If you do write checks, you would enter that transaction at the time that you write the check. So even Mint will let you do that, even though Mint prides itself on its automatic. It will let you enter your outstanding check as a pending transaction. Um, and that is incredibly helpful because it will lower the available balance when you check Mint. So it can help reduce that terror of, I just put $2,000 in there, but right. that's and not actually- And I need actually... to not spend over that, it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it will give you, so Mint and many of the other ones, I use Mint as an example because it's very popular because it's free, um, but there is a balance and then there is an available cash. There's different terms for different apps, but the first amount balance is what your bank knows about. And the second one is available cash, which is, it also covers any pending transactions like outstanding checks or something that you know hasn't processed yet. Um, and the old way that you would do this is you would look at your checkbook register and you would compare the two amounts when you balanced your checkbook. Nowadays, you can just use that available cash hmm. amount. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like in a lot of ways, balancing your checkbook has sort of been replaced by certain technologies, but it's still worth doing if you're writing a lot of checks. Exactly. So, when I asked folks on Twitter if they balanced their checkbook, and the people that, that said that they did, they almost all said that they did it using some piece of software now. So, right. they, they nobody, nobody said, I, I did it primarily on paper, uh, which is kind of the classic checkbook right. It register. always sounds like something like Bob Cratchit would be doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds very like it makes you feel like you're an adult to hear that, like, I balanced my checkbook. Um, so Kate said, I balance my YNAB, which is what I also do. Mm -hmm. I reconcile mine. Um, Sam said, for my job, I do, but it's obviously a requirement in accounting land. But uh, Sam says she does not for her personal life anymore, but she did when she was dealing with scarcity living paycheck to paycheck. Right. If, well, if you're more on the margin, I'm sure a check balancing would be a way bigger deal. It's really important. And I, But I asked her how she did it, and she said she used both a Google Sheet and she used um, her paper uh, mm -hmm. account. So, so th I think it's really important if you are in that kind of panic mode about overdraft, then this is a good process because it's engaging with your money, which we always encourage on this show. And you don't have to call it balancing your checkbook if that's scary but if it makes you feel cool and like you're yeah. adulting then call it balancing <laughs> your checkbook but really is what it is is a regular process of comparing your records against your bake records and making sure there's no surprises coming up and that's it right um so if you are super excited about uh following the old school methods for balancing your checkbook i will link to an extremely ancient how to balance your checkbook uh thing that i found from a bank uh oh, in the show notes and then um also, one of my favorite personal finance blogs, Bitches Get Riches, did a just recently a whole blog post that actually walks you through how to write a check. So if you're if you're like a Gen Z and you're like uh, um, checks, how do what do <laughs> what I need those? to do? Um, I think it's a really good uh, way to kind of get get a basis in it. But it it's that simple. Balancing a checkbook is really just comparing your accounts to another one, and um, you need to have something that you keep track of your money in to do Interesting. it. Well, that's good background, too, for something a lot of us use occasionally, at least. Yeah, yeah. I hope that this show becomes outdated really soon because we get <laughs> rid of checks. But we have a lot of trouble updating the banking infrastructure in the U.S., so it'll probably be a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we have two things in our mailbag. It's a Right after this break, we're going to dive into the mailbag for this episode.
we're back. Thank you to... <laughs> we're back into the mailbag. We're back, and we're in the mailbag, <laughs> just surrounded by letters and envelopes. Uh, so what's our what's our first piece of mail, Will? Well, our first piece of mail comes from Don. Uh, and Don says, I really enjoy listening to Oh My Dollar. Thanks, Don. You ask listeners to share experiences of asking to transition from a 1099 contract worker to a W-2 employee. I got married at the beginning of the year to a nanny. Her employer had not been giving her employer had not been giving her a W-2 prior, and I decided to ask to change the practice in 2019. I did so in an email below, giving them a reference to a third party that could manage the transition. I thought that was the most appropriate way to go about such a sensitive topic. Fortunately, the employer was receptive, and my wife is now a W-2 worker. Related to that, my wife's employer cannot offer health and retirement benefits. Fortunately, my employer does, and my wife is now on that health plan. I'm wondering if we can create ta- if we can create accounts for tax-advantaged benefits. For example, my employer offers a commuter benefit where I elect to have a pre-tax withdrawal for a public transit pass. Could my wife set up something similar manually? Does she have options for creating retirement accounts? Thanks for your help. Please keep up the great work on Oh My Dollar, Don. Don, I'm so glad you wrote in. Um, and Don actually included the template uh, that they wrote to the nanny's employer to oh, cool. ask for this. So um, I will I will link to that because I, I think it's really helpful because this is like a super awkward thing because most likely if you're in this position, you probably work for a small employer. Yep. And in this case, you work for just a family, right? That's like, oh. About as small an employer as you can get. Yeah, yeah. right? So this is such an excellent question. So um, Don's kind of question, in addition to this great, like, yay, I'm so happy that you're now above the law with the employer. Um, above so, the law. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, it's great because it's, uh, unfortunately, prior to that, the family that was employing them was below the law. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, she can't establish a commuter account except through her employer as a W-2 employee. Um, that they She could ask her employer to to set one up for her um, at at very minimal cost to them. So if that is something that would make a huge difference, it is worth asking about. There's also special provisions for nanny transportation benefits. Like literally it is called out in the tax code, nanny benefits. Oh, interesting. Many families find that paying for their nanny or a senior's caregiver public transit pass is like a good benefit. And because it will be non-taxable, just like your commuter benefit, it means that you can, uh, you know, do this without having to pay FICA or unemployment taxes on the value, which saves both your wife and your employer um, money, which is really great. So since her employer doesn't offer insurance coverage, I know that in your case, she's able to get on yours. But for anyone else that is listening, um, if you if your employer doesn't offer you insurance coverage, regardless of what field you're in, you can fill out an application through the marketplace. This does not you can still get employer coverage through the marketplace if you just don't like the insurance that your work has. But if they literally don't offer it because either you're a part time employee or they don't have it, they're too small, um, then you also qualify for the subsidies and various other things like that. If they do offer it, you you would have to pay full freight. But if they don't, mm. then you might be able to qualify for Medicaid or the subsidy benefits or other cost sharing provisions that make it more affordable. Yeah. Um, I quite like my marketplace insurance right now. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I'm a big fan of it. We're 
we're lucky in Oregon because healthcare is such a large industry here. We we have a fair amount of options compared to some other states. Um, but one of the cool things to know about this is that there is a type of plan we've covered before. I will link to some of our episodes on it, but it's called a high deductible health plan. And what this allows you to do if you have an HSA eligible one is also open up a health savings account. And a health savings account is kind of like an extra retirement account or at the very least an extra savings account. And it helps reduce taxable income. So it is a good advantage to follow up on your second question, which is, can she establish a retirement account? And yes, the answer is totally. She can set up an IRA, uh, which we've talked about endlessly on the show. There are two different types of IRA, Roth and traditional. And for this year, she can contribute up to $6,000 per year to those accounts. The traditional IRA reduces your taxable income, and the Roth IRA is great if her tax um if your taxable income is already very low because you do not pay taxes at the time that you take it out in retirement. The HSA is similar to the traditional IRA in that it reduces your taxable income. Uh, But the other cool part about it is it's tax-free coming out if you use it for health expenses. So HSAs are a really good way to get some bonus. Uh, Unfortunately, something like a 401k or a SEP IRA is not accessible um, to a W-2 employee. You do have to be self-employed in order to set up something like a um, solo 401k or a SEP IRA for yourself. Um, But the as long as you uh, which those have higher limits. So those are nice. But traditional and Roth are both totally available. And we have some shows where we've walked through how to set those up. The only disadvantage would be, since you are married, if you're filing jointly, there is a phase out at which um, you cannot contribute to IRAs if your uh, joint income is really high. Uh, That's into the six figures. So most people don't fall into that, but it is something to be aware of. Great. I hope that answers your questions, Don. Yeah, I hope so too. And thank you so much for writing in about that. I didn't, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. Good job. That's a hard conversation to have. Our next piece of mail comes from Tomas. Uh, Tomas says, some good things have been going on in my life that I wanted to share with you. In the last couple of months, I've paid off $3,000 in various credit card balances, travel, bike stuff, car stuff, house stuff. Then Audrey and I paid off our final balances of school loans at $3,800 each using the savings we'd started together a couple years ago. All this has resulted in my credit card score jumping 30 points. I'm finally back in the 700 club. Your financial advice and frugal living inspired me to take more control of my stupid spending and take care of all my financial obligations. I'm effectively debt-free again. Now, we are stowing away more money per paycheck, planning for the next car repair or whatever it may be, and shopping for a house. I think your financial advice stuck with me because you live so frugal and realistic. It's not advice coming from someone that has millions in stocks, bonds, and all those other financial games that are not in my realm of possibility anytime soon. Oh, thank you, Tomas. Someday I hope to have millions in stocks and bonds. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Slow goal. And and you, too, can can get rich slowly (laughs) by investing. Anyway, I'm so happy to hear that this all has helped you and that you've made progress on your credit cards and you've paid off so much debt. That's so awesome. Uh, so I'm proud of you from afar and honored that you shared that. Thank you for sending it in. Yeah. <laughs> While we were recording, my dad tweeted at me and it, he felt it was really important that I include him. So he said, I'm an old school QuickBooks desktop user more than 25 years. I manually enter each receipt, very rarely download 
unless I check it against my receipts first, and then I reconcile when I get the bill to verify the auto payment. Well, I guess Apple Tree. <laughs> I know, because that sounds like your dad. <laughs> I will say, I, I have, my dad was self-employed for most of the time that I was growing up, and I remember that there was like, a time each month when he was doing his um, expenses uh, and like doing invoicing and everything where he would grumble about it for several days leading up to it. And then he would lock himself in his office for like six or seven hours Mm -hmm. on, on some Sunday or something like that doing all the accounting and everything. And so I, I always had this very like, Oh, this is a monthly activity that you do when you're doing your expense reports and everything. So nice. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I had positive associations with it, but I did believe it was a monthly thing. You had you associations with I it. You know, it was something people did. I'm so yeah. sorry. So yeah, even though school didn't train me on financial literacy, my parents totally sat me down and checked, uh, taught me how to balance a oh, checkbook. Cool. That's so. good. That's that's almost more important. Yeah. Thanks a lot, folks. <laughs> this is the financial privilege I was raised with. Uh, I think that wraps our show. Will? Yeah. That was that was. We covered a lot of check. Are you excited ground. about balancing your checkbook now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I'm not convinced. I really need to with what I use it for. But I. I think I've got a better idea of when I would. Yeah, I love doing it in YNAB. I would also say I have an account with my partner. Um, where we have each other as credit cards in YNAB. And mm-hmm. so this allows us to split transactions like at the grocery store oh, easily um, without having to actually transfer small bits of money. And we uh, try to reconcile every month. We don't always get to it, but we try to reconcile every month between the two accounts because we use a really silly system, but we actually use our to-do list app that we're both shared on as our shared ledger. And when one of us goes to the grocery store when the other's not there or something, we'll enter the um, split transaction as as a to-do item for the other person, and then we'll check it off as we enter oh, nice. in the register transaction. It's kind of a hacky system, but it works yeah. for us. I mean, all you need is somewhere you can write down some numbers. Yeah, exactly. The rest is details. Exactly, <laughs> and the to-do list is like it works when we're not in the same country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is frequently topical for you guys. Yeah. Well, that wraps our show for today. We love hearing from you. Please remember to email us your financial worries or successes at questions at ohmydollar.com or tweet us at anomaly or at ohmydollar. Yes. Our producer is Will Romy, myself. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki, and your host and personal finance educator is Lillian Kerbig. Thanks for listening, and until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you, and maybe balance your checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.